Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Weekly, a show where we, the writers of Eurogamer, recap the website for you. Remember, supporters of Eurogamer get these episodes every Friday, whereas everyone else listens from Monday. You can find out more about supporting us in the description below or on our lovely website. I'm Bertie, a longtime writer for Eurogamer, part of the furniture, really. And I'm joined today by Editor-in-Chief Martin Robinson. Hi, Chief. <laughs> Hello, how's it going? Good, thank you. And Features Editor Christian Donnan. Hi, Chris. Hello. Now, I want to begin with something that had Christian and, well, a large part of the world quite excited this week, very excited. And those were the first images from the James Webb telescope. Now, this isn't some guy called James Webb who's just standing in his back garden somewhere with a NAFOL telescope. This is a full-on proper deal. Christian, on a scale of one to ten, how exciting was it? Oh, te- like ten. Like if, yeah, ten. It, ten. Was, it was super exciting, and it yeah, it was it was wonderful. Talk us through it a bit because you were probably the most excited person <laughs> on the team. Um, Why is it so exciting? What are we seeing? What's going on? Well, so I. I am old and I remember in 1995, I was still at secondary school when um, the Hubble Space Telescope started sending, once it was fixed, the Hubble Space Telescope started sending back these extraordinary pictures, including Pillars of Creation, the famous sort of stellar nursery. And at the time it was the most advanced space telescope. And we were seeing the universe in this completely new way. And the universe was suddenly incredibly dynamic and exciting. And you were seeing, you know, a place where stars were being born out of sort of dust and stuff like that. It was very exciting. And I think um, James Webb is the next step forward. So it's this huge, relatively speaking, huge telescope that's in the Lagrange point between Earth and the sun. Lagrange point of anyone who's read enough sort of Arthur C. Clarke, he bangs on about the Lagrange point all the time. Um it sounds so sophisticated it is yeah I mean, ask like, a dumb question yeah i won't know the answer who is james webb pardon me <laughs> who was who james, james webb? webb do you know what i knew the answer once. who was james webb sorry who was james webb i knew the answer once I'm, I'm no longer <laughs> so this is good um james e webb who is the administrator of nasa from 1961 to 1968 in the mercury and apollo programs um so oh, but anyway so yeah this was some good shit what's that sorry i'm so sorry we've got this problem again right? i can never stuff. hear what you're saying <laughs> i can't hear what you're saying sorry that's all right is that okay yeah i'm sure we can edit this out did you um, want to did you want to start again or something? Because I is is that on my side? Is it the is it not? No, it's my hearing. It's me? my hearing. My hearing aids on and everything, but I just I struggle with I struggle with um I struggle with noises. <laughs> I struggle I struggle to hear sound. Okay, um, don't worry. 
Okay, so, so where were we? Um, let's just, just carry on from here. So um, you were about to tell us, I think, about maybe the images that were coming um, oh, yeah. from the James Webb telescope. So I read about James Webb first in a book by Stuart Clarke about the search for Earth's twin. I think it may even be called the search for Earth's twin. And it was talking about this telescope that was going to go up and it would be able to, amongst the many things to be able to do, was to be able to be actually look into the atmospheres of exoplanets so planets surrounding other suns and be able to say tell us about some of their some of the uh chemicals and the elements that were in there and in fact in the first five pictures from the james webb um telescope which we saw this week because it's just gone up and it's just started sending we just started seeing the first data from it one of them was not really a picture but it was a spectrograph of a uh, an exoplanet orbiting a sun i think about a thousand light years away and it was, this planet is a gas giant like Jupiter or Saturn, but unlike Jupiter or Saturn, it's very close to the sun. It's very close to its sun. They're called hot Jupiters, I believe. Though I may be absolutely mangling this terminology. <laughs> and Webb looked into its um, atmosphere and was able to see water there. Well, it'd be sort of water vapor, sort of haze, but that's just enormous. For the first time you can look at a, at a, at a we've gone in my lifetime, gone from, seeing being able to spot exoplanets because of the way they move past the, their suns to be able to use that that same moment where they go in front of their sun to actually look inside and see what's in there um and that's just incredibly exciting but the other images can i briefly talk about so the other images Im yeah of course. yeah yeah please so yeah so the first one they revealed was the deepest image ever taken of the universe um and these images did they come they come back like that no one's touched these up no no people have completely so they're infrared they're, they're all the james webb is an infrared telescope and we cannot see infrared okay so these are all sort of false color images they're all sort of colored by people at nasa to give to to give the different sort of wavelengths something that we can see but the that's my understanding at least so the um the first one was which was, which was the deepest view ever seen of this of the universe um, and it had in the background the red, you know, the red galaxies in the background were formed like 13 billion years ago. And the universe, I think, is only like that's 13, quite a long time. It, well, the universe is only 30, I think it's 13.5 or 13.8 billion years old. And so they were, they were, you're looking at really the first galaxies formed and they were able to see what sort of elements were in there. And they were all really basic elements. You're really going right back to the beginning of things. But also that image was very exciting because it had gravitational lensing a lot of the the stuff in the background was sort of distorted and it was because oh, the galaxies okay. in the foreground which were about three billion years old i think i'm plucking i'm trying this is all my memory and my memory is terrible but the galaxies in the foreground which were much were much closer and much more recent um the light was being bent by gravity around them which einstein predicted so it's another another example of Einstein being bang on the money. That's a great image. But then, so after that, they did the exoplanet. And then I will, I will wrap this up, I promise. We then saw a dying <laughs> star. It's interesting. We saw a dying star that's sort of venting its gases, which is very exciting. Um, and then you saw five different galaxies. Um, I think three of them were like converging and they were sort of pulling gases off each other and the gases were coming extremely hot and creating new stars. It's all very exciting. It's a beautiful image. That one's called the some. It's called the quintet. I can't remember the names of them. You'd think I'd prepare this, given that I'm so excited about it. Um, and then the last <laughs> image, which was just a brilliant piece of sort of storytelling by NASA. The last image was a huge stellar nursery, and it harkened back. It was actually a, the same image had been taken. The same nursery had been photographed by Hubble, so they could do a direct comparison. 
but it was very much a throwback to Pillars of Creation. That sort of wow moment of like, here are stars being born. Look at what this telescope's going to do. And the other thing, just very quickly, the other thing that's very exciting about this was these are all photographs which have been taken in the first like five days of James Webb. And they were like, this telescope's really fast at sending back images and it's really fast at working. And we're just going to get in the next 20 years, you're going to get, it's going to change science and our view of the solar of the of the universe it's really exciting which is an interesting point to jump on the back on because although we're not specifically talking about games at the moment um games of course draw on scientific advances like this to to plot their sci-fi adventures in the same way as fiction and things I so it'll be interesting to see if in in years to come how how this affects i think games. if you look at hubble hubble had a really um, Hubble was one of those rare scientific things, like I think you probably have to go back to Voyager for another one. Hubble really had an impact on the public consciousness about space and the way they pictured space. And if you look at the, the, the thing I linked to in one of the articles we wrote about this was the opening shot of Contact, the Robert Zemeckis film, which came out, I think, in like 97. I was at university, so like 97, 98. And if you look at that opening shot, it's clearly influenced by Hubble imagery to the extent that the pillars of creation are very briefly in it. It's just a sort of shot pulling back from the earth in, through gas clouds and things like that. And I think there's the, this is the way that they will, if you look at a Halo skybox or a Destiny skybox, yes, they're influenced by like Turner and sort of romantic art like that, but they're also influenced by you know, Hubble imagery. They have the same extraordinary colours, the same sort of expansiveness, the same drama and sort of romance that Hubble pictures of, of the universe have. And so I think if you see the way that bleeds through into games, but also into cinema and into just books, into everything, it's going to be the same. Hopefully it's going to be the same thing, but more so. We're going to see, we're going to learn things that are just extraordinary. So, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely it's right. It's exciting, isn't it? Oh God! Yeah. I wonder if it Let's kicks go. off. I wonder if it kicks off a new uh, a bunch of of teams now um, going into space. Although, of course, we've got some big games already. We've got um, Starfield from Bethesda about to come out at probably exactly the right time. There was a, there was a while back. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been interesting. Oh, go on. No, after you, Martin. I've spoken more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I just I was gonna say it was just one of those beautiful moments where basically. Um, especially again so this isn't really uh games as such but it's just one of those moments where everything's not so great on the planet right now it feels pretty awful right? i think it's especially with the um uh, climate crisis literally staring us in the face of this heat wave right now um and it was just one of those beautiful moments where actually we kind of stopped and look, looked upwards and it was a rare moment of optimism basically um in in an otherwise quite pessimistic environment around us right now so it was a beautiful to have that and obviously games are fantastic at embracing that um, looking up, as you said, about the kind of the bungee skybox is kind of one of those magical bits of wonder that you get in video games. And so it's be brilliant to see how it kind of impacts that. And I'm sure game developers will jump on it. That's a lovely point. So moving on um, to look at the reviews that are on the site this week. So it's a quiet period of time. The quietness continues. But Christian, you were looking at an interesting game this week um, called Mothmen 1966. And this is kind of a trip back in time as I understood it from reading, reading the review. Can you tell us a bit about the game? Yeah, so, so um, God, I'm going to be talking a lot today. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> it's like, You're really good at it, it's fine. When it's Radio Telescopes and Mothman Week, there's really, like, that's the, that's the day. That's the week <laughs> there's only one room. guy to call on, yeah. 
So um, the Mothman <laughs> is this brilliant uh, cryptid who sort of belongs alongside, um, you know, the Mongolian deathworm and um, the Yeti and the, you know, Bigfoot, this sort of um, mysterious creature, which is sometimes glimpsed. Um, and I think the main sightings were in 1966 in this place called Point Pleasant in West Virginia. And they occurred just before a bridge fell down and killed like 30 odd people, which is awful. Um, it's since been made clear that the bridge fell down for completely understandable reasons but sort of the whole <laughs> the whole sort of mothman turning up and then something terrible happens was sort of encapsulated in this wonderful book by john keel um sort of a paranormal investigator who's not afraid to sort of destroy fact in order to tell a, an entertaining story and i've always loved the mothman prophecies because he's sort of a a postmodernist, so it's al you're you're right. You're almost reading this wonderful little bit of fiction that sort of ties in with fact in very vague, unconvincing ways. It was made into a brilliant movie, like a surprisingly brilliant movie, um, starring Richard Gere, uh, <laughs> which I I urge you to track down. Um, and for years, I've had sort of Mothman as this sort of beloved crap cryptid, sort of crapted, if you will, sort of <laughs> in my. Uh, memory is this thing that I've sort of loved to think about on winter evenings sort of staring out into the garden um, as you do and now it's been made into this really fascinating game Mothman 1966 by uh, a team called LCB Games who I think are a very small studio and I believe they're Argentinian um, though I may be incorrect so apologies about that and it is a throwback to sort of 1966 and West Virginia but it's also a throwback to the era of really early graphic, graphical PC games, sort of uh, CGA games. I, I don't know what CGA stands for. Please don't tell me what you discovered it stands for. <laughs> but yeah, don't, well, it. There, there are various interpretations of means of it. But, but there's the one I remember is the uh, obviously the it was the low tier graphics mode on PC games yeah, in the mid nineties. Basically, there was a time when loads of games like North and South they had like your kind of VGA graphics, which was all color, and then you had CGA, which was in like four different colors. But the colors were kind of amazing. They were like sort of these lurid cyans and and like uh, turquoise and greens. And Mothman, uh, Mothman 1966 takes this kind of green turquoise white color scheme and it delivers a game that really feels like it could have been made in like 1988 or something. Um, it's a uh, visual novel with a little bit of loose sort of sort of choice in there um, and also some slightly shonky interactive bits which i think in my review i was a bit too hard on actually i've been thinking about it i didn't it didn't read like I th that. i've been thinking about it since then and actually i i like they were they were they were almost you're almost sort of encapsulated it felt like they weren't they were encapsulating the awkwardness of this era of game on purpose um and everything goes through the same control method you know like so it's like what if you had an action an action sequence which you which you interact with through a text interface through like deciding sort of selecting sentences so i think i was a bit hard on it in the review but it didn't get in the way of the fact that i absolutely adore this game because it's just pure atmosphere and it's it's two atmospheres overlaid that sort of superpositioning of like mothman which i love but then sort of the early days of pcs which i love um, it reminds me of when I was at, at 
primary school, uh, secondary school in the first years, making sort of new friends. And we used to go around each other's house and play on their PCs and like the weird sort of shareware that they that passed around at school. It feels like that. It reminds me, um, Ollie Welsh, former Eurogamer editor in chief, Ollie Welsh and I, always one of the subjects which we're fascinated by is where PCs used to be in the house and where oddly actually where telephones mm -hmm. used to be in the house. Like there was this really sort of uncertainty as to where you put your telephone which is why there, there's a whole class. Of, I can't believe I'm talking about this. Sorry. There's a whole class of, um, <laughs> there's a whole class of furniture called like telephone chairs. We've got one in the other room because I'm obsessed with them. Um, but you used to have like a little bit of furniture because you put your telephone in your, in your hallway. <laughs> um, and uh, PCs were the same. So my friend Gareth, I used to play Monkey Island and his PC was right by his front door. You'd go into the house, there'd be the front door, you'd come in and then there was a flight of steps upstairs and the PC was at the bottom of the steps. So if you fell downstairs, you would die by colliding with the PC. But I love that sort of this technology was going through the stage where just no one knew where to put it. Um, and that's sort of all twisted up in my, my love of these sort of games. It's a wonderful game and it's on pretty much everything, I gather. Please do check it out. That's what I'd say. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so we also this week, and this is not strictly... It's fine. We also this week, and this is not strictly a review, uh, but a state of the game piece, this new series we launched where we're looking at games later in their lifetime uh, to see how they are now. We also took a look at what GTA Online is like nine years after it came out. That's a long time. Um, this is a great piece by Jake Green. He at times loves GTA Online, at times he hates it, and his hate seems to come from everything costing a lot of money to do in the game and everyone else who plays there already having tons of money so they don't care about say killing you and blowing you up and taking the monetary hit that kind of uh, comes with it but the bits he loves are all these kind of multi-stage heists and, and dlc based content that's been added to the game in those those nine years they even had dr dre come and do like a special <laughs> partnership which is so gta it, it hurts um so in his mind, it's a game that's kind of at odds with itself and, and rooted in this 2013 kind of era. And actually, it's going to be fascinating to see what Rockstar takes from that and what it leaves behind when we get to the next iteration of GTA Online with GTA 6, uh, which is... In yeah, it's, it's, it's like you're right. It's going to be really fascinating because obviously, I think... Not, I was going to say the, the success of GTA Online has been problematic for Rockstar. It hasn't at all. They've made absolutely crap loads of money out of it. But I think... It, um, it kind of changed the way they made games and i think it's obviously responsible mm. for the long wait for for uh, gta 6 um and it's it's crazy as well that gta online has outlived red dead online which uh i think i saw over the weekend that was basically been uh, effectively killed off they've stopped working on it now um i think that was on was over the weekend that was confirmed um and it's just it's amazing to see that kind of yeah um whatever magic they bottled this time with uh, with GTA Online, they weren't able to do it with Red Dead. And so it's going to be interesting to see where they take it for six, basically. It's also kind of one of those weird blind spots. It's a blind spot for me anyway, because of um, I never I never really got into it. So I've tried to get into it about three or four times. And then after about six hours of just being repeatedly gunned down by randoms, it's like, I'm just going to go back and just play it single player and just and just mitch around um, LA. Um, but obviously it's been hugely successful and there's even story content in there because i think a lot of people were hoping for gta 5 story dlc which never happened it just kind of found its way into the online aspect um and there's so much there so it's like but well, i think that's the joy of the state of the game piece it's really nice to have someone who actually knows their stuff distill it into something um 
quite digestible for someone like me who's basically quite ignorant about it it's really nice to have that kind of little catch up on on what's going on in this absolutely absolutely huge colossal yeah game. he says in as part of the piece there is a new onboarding uh kind of new player experience in the game if you do fancy and you, you've never played it um but yeah there still is a a, a quite unfriendly uh <laughs> community at times they're ready to kill you because effectively i think they're just bored isn't that kind you know, of what you're flying want, around though. and they just you, they just is that kind of what you want from yes, GTA? Yeah, like, you don't want, like it, if you went in and everyone's like oh hi so nice to see you kind of thing you'd be like this isn't really gta <laughs> <laughs> where am i is this second life <laughs> um okay um also in features uh, those were the kind of reviews things this week but in features then um chris tapsell had a chat with Relic um, after previewing the upcoming Company of Heroes 3. I think we can hear Martin's doorbell in the background there. I was just basically trying to mute it as my doorbell, which is basically, for some reason, um, I didn't choose this by myself. I, it's behind a, it's a remote thing, it's behind a bookshelf. And it's when I installed it, I accidentally pressed a button, which made it do this weird sea shanty, and I cannot ever change it. And it's infuriating. So apologies for that, but there you go. There's there's there's, there's <laughs> the backstory of my uh, the backstory of my doorbell. I think that's brilliant. Um, so Chris Tapsell, Relic, Company of Heroes three. This one's set in the uh, North African and Mediterranean theaters theaters of war during World War two, and like other games in the series, it kind of aims to zoom right into the kind of individual uh, experience of the wars and and what it was like for for the people in them. Um, and as you know, like the series has great credentials and everything you could probably want from a new company of heroes games looks like it's it's being ticked off here but i guess the issue is do you want a war game at the moment it's it's tricky isn't it because they have been working on it and it's nothing to do with them but i guess we'll see how it fares uh come november time yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting i like um the type is kind of far removed enough but it is i it, appetite for this kind of thing i'm not sure how much is there obviously we're going to be having the same kind of questions when modern warfare 2 comes out at the end of the year which is going to be the biggest game of the year and i don't know how much people want to engage in that kind of thing right now um and obviously it's, it's impacted a lot of games advance wars got delayed i think the word is it's going to come out later this year but um yeah obviously it hasn't halted company of heroes progress although it does it does sound good um great box as well apparently in company of heroes 3 so. in a way i think company of heroes um in a... ed and I... oh sorry sorry bertie Okay, I was going to say, in a way, Company of Heroes 3, it strikes me that it's better placed for the current moment than something like Advance Wars, which is like, war is fun and toy-like. Mm. Whereas the, Company of Heroes has always been rooted in yeah. sort of the historical narrative. And I think there are two things that are really, two things that are specifically interesting, delicate about this game. One of them is obviously negotiating the fact that there is currently a war in Europe, which is killing civilians and destroying cities. And the other thing is that it, it goes back to Rommel, who is a very interesting figure in that for a long time he was seen as being sort of, um, a, you know, a sort of like <laughs> the, the sort of decent person on the on the on the German side, which is much more complex than it actually. The, the truth is much more complex, but he was sort of I think he was poisoned. He was he was killed by Hitler because of plotting to overthrow him and things like this there were lots of sort of uh he's had sort of a, a bit of uh, a, com a complex reputation which i think this game is trying to unpick and the reputation not only of him but also of the war that he fought there was a sort of tidying up of that reputation of the war in in north africa 
um, which sort of ignored some of the atrocities and things like that that happened. So I think this game is is I, I'm fascinated to see that. My grandfather was captured by Rommel, not personally, but his his unit was captured by Rommel at the beginning of the war. Wow! Um, it's Saint Valery, 1941, and um, Rommel was famous for taking care of his POWs particularly well. Um, but there's a lot more to the man, and I think it's great that a game is exploring this in such a in hopefully with all of his nuances intact. I should say my grandfather never met him. Well, I sort of had hopes that if <laughs> they were, they were like hanging out. I not do the rounds and yeah, shake he, hands. he captured like thousands of people at once, and my grandfather was one of them. I hope that if a developer can land this, maybe it's Relic that can manage. But but we'll see. Um, let's see. Come come November. Also in features land this week. Ed Nightingale talked to the makers of an imminent Xbox interactive movie game called As Dusk, As Dusk Falls. This is out um, next week, uh, 19th of July. It's on Game Pass um, and PC, so Game Pass Day 1 Xbox as well. Um, I'm actually reviewing it at the moment, though I'm under embargo, so I can't talk about it properly until early next week. However, I will sneakily say that it's good. Um, so Ed talked to uh, Caroline Marshall, who set up um, the new studio behind the game called Interior Forward Slash Night. Um, she used to work at Quantic Dream, so she brings a lot of experience um, from kind of cinematic um, interactive uh, movie games from there. But she also brings lots of experience about what she wants from a company and probably more importantly, what she doesn't want. Um, and inclusivity is a large part of this that she's talking um, to Ed about. She's also talking about not making game development or, or game projects marathons, which to me suggests she wants projects to be more manageable and more finishable. And I can really feel this in the game while playing it. And to me, that's really exciting because it means I hope that people aren't going to break themselves making games like yeah. this. They're, they're a lot more manageable. And this is good for everyone's for, good for their creativity, for their improvement, for their prolonged um stay in the games development industry and, and ultimately for our entertainment so yes i find this all very exciting for a number of reasons and keep an eye on this game basically yeah it's one of those genres kind of unchecked potential and it was obviously hugely exciting around the time of um kind of heavy rain and it was because of it because it was kind of um uh kind of more broadly applicable drama, which I was going to say veered away from kind of more typical video game excesses that made it seem like a more mainstream thing and actually like this is the kind of thing that actually could make video games more palatable to like an older, uh, broader audience. And I think um, some studios came to try and, and do a similar thing. There was Andy Serkis' studio that did the Planet of the Apes game that was promising big things, didn't quite oh, uh, yeah. pull it off. Supermassive do a kind of similar, uh, but brilliant job with it with their, um, with their unbelievable amount of video games that's the studio's output it's crazy <laughs> but i guess but it, do, it does show that these kind of things can be i guess um turned around uh, in a slightly quicker um process quicker way than the triple typical uh, like triple a cycle but um yeah this this looks super fascinating in that kind of way and it's nice to see it because obviously i think the appetite kind of things was might have been sullied a little bit by quantic dream <laughs> and that, that kind of uh various um things around that studio um so it's nice to see it kind of restored um and and, and something which is i can be, get generally excited about i'm really looking forward to it. it looks amazing it's got that kind of rotoscoping look which to me because i'm old uh and um 
of a certain ilk. It reminds me of the rotoscoping films of Richard Linklater with um, The Waking Life and then Scanner Darkly, which is an amazing PK Dick adaptation if you haven't seen it. It's got that similar kind of look to it. And I've, I've not played it myself. I'm not sure how effective it is. I'm not sure you probably ran embargo. You can't say too much. You can talk about what's out there in the trailer. The, the difficulty is that I can't it, it say so. It is very effective. And uh, from yeah. Ed's interview, um, I was reading about how they did it because I wasn't sure because they actually they managed to capture expressions really well probably breaking embargoes now they managed to capture expressions really well in the game and it looks like they've almost you know taken a reference photograph of it and in the interview um they say that they actually videoed or they filmed the actors doing it um, by green screen so they are actually capturing actors performances i think they're just not you know lip syncing it up uh or or showing all of the frames they capture they're just pulling on the ones they need in order to convey the important parts of that scene, which works surprisingly well and comes with some other benefits as well. It's a bit odd to begin with, and I struggled with the art style for some reason. I, I found it a bit off-putting, um, but I think once you warm up to it, it's quite exciting. There's, there's a lot of things that bode well uh, for it but <laughs> i better not say too more for fear of getting in trouble so no, i'm looking forward to it and that's is that it's, it's next week that's out isn't it so yeah so the 19th um so that's tuesday uh, it comes we've up. got two we've got two actual video games coming out next week that's exciting we've got that and stray oh which my is gosh, the, uh, yeah. the, the cat wandering game which looks fantastic that does look good um I, until recently I, there was a cat sleeping on the floor just here but she's gone outside um over in Video Land this week, um, Ian and Zoe played Skyrim together in um, Skyrim Together. Uh, this is the new PC co-op mod <laughs> that people have been waiting for a long uh, time to play. I really want to play this. And it, Skyrim with someone else, I don't know what, what more you have to say. It's, it's that slapstick, knockabout, fun. Whereas on your own, you would see what trouble you can get up to with someone else. Like To me, that just makes so much sense. Um, of course, Bethesda is in no way... Um, involved in making this so it, it probably breaks in various ways although i don't know if them being involved would change that <laughs> no, it probably might break in less ways who knows um the team also aired their quarry playthrough finale uh, this is uh, by supermassive the people do the dark dark pictures and very much interactive uh, movie but will they get through it with everyone alive i hope not because i didn't um and then that would mean they're better than me um Zoe also began a playthrough um, of a psychological horror game called Madison, which I was watching her play a bit of, and it looks freaky as hell, proper, you're in a sewer, no lights, you're taking, the only light is like an intermittent flash from your camera and spooky stuff. Um, and Ian was also thinking out loud about which moments in the Resi 4 remake would be awesome in VR, because all Ian thinks about is VR, apparently. Um, over in Digital Foundry Land, there's more uh, quarry action as Tom Morgan uh, took a look at how the game um, performs on, in general, but on PS5 and Xbox Series um, X and was really impressed, uh, calling it a motion capture showcase. I actually watched Tom Morgan play a lot of this because he sits behind me in the office, so I often spin around to basically distract him <laughs> from what he's doing. Um, and I know how positive he was about the game. Uh, but it does, <laughs> it does look great. There's some... The skin is great in the game. It's such a weird thing to say, but they have quite a lot of close-ups of the characters, particularly in the pause menus. You kind of move their heads around. It looks a bit freaky, but it's got some weird mouths. The motion capture of the mouths is weird on some characters. It looks really like 
they've stuffed someone else's mouth that's too big for their face into their mouth. Um, and it's it's quite jarring. They've got such a good formula going as so well. I think, sorry to get ahead of ourselves, but their, their next game's got Jesse Buckley in, isn't it? Which is just strikes me as just like an incredible get, like one of the most exciting talents in, in Hollywood right now. And she's in starring in the next um, Dark. It does. Game. And it's coming out this autumn. Well, it's expected to yeah. come out this autumn. Um, and they have um, one of the news items we'll, I'll, I'll come to in a bit is they've just been acquired um, supermassive by a Danish company called Nordisk Games, who also owns uh, Just Cause developer Avalanche and Metroid Dread developer Mercury Steam, which suggests they're about to get, um, you know, some. they've got some money come pouring in. I don't know if they were lacking it before, but I don't know how they managed to do all these projects at once. They're like 300 people. So this is a big, it's a kind of subgenre, but it's obviously going well for them. And personally, I will play, I think, any new game that they put out in this genre. It's just fun to play with other people in the house. It's, it's not too taxing it's just quite fun to watch and kind of mess around with i like yeah it. it's, it's 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 a brilliant formula and like I've, I've, the quarries are, i should i should know this the quarry is like more of a full-length game isn't it whereas obviously the dark pictures are a bit more bite-sized yeah this is about um about eight hours so two chunky sittings if, if you're going to do it with friends don't expect to do it all in one night if you've got that it's kind of like um it's a spiritual successor to until dawn so it's yeah yeah it goes back to that um it's so come on because until dawn was obviously kind of the first one and um it, it looked appalling at first it started it's a vr game wasn't it? i think it started off as a playstation vr game oh, and then got remember. and then got and i don't think it looked that amazing then got i could be wrong this is off the top of my head and um my internal wikipedia is not the most reliable <laughs> um but uh yeah i think it was it was a psvr game and it, it looked a bit shaky then it kind of got retooled um to amazing effect to become this yeah to serve the foundation to the ongoing success of the studio they're doing brilliantly yeah those games all look great um also in df land this week and i love this alex battaglia installed windows 98 as you do on an xbox series x um, and played amazing, yeah. a load of old pc games like quake and half-life and turok and commander and concrete like i i guess only someone from digital foundry wakes up and goes i know what i'll do today <laughs> i'm going to install windows 98 um the upshot was that it doesn't work perfectly because it's a lot of it's emulated and the GPU is not really being used. And so there's loads of room for improvement, but he's still quite enthusiastic about it. Um, about, and he walks you, there's a video where he walks you through um, what he did to get it working just in case, <laughs> I don't know, for whatever reason you want to do it. Can well. your Xbox, can your Xbox Series X do VGA or Super VGA or does it just do CGA? I, I don't yeah, know. We'll, we'll find out, yeah. See what it's capable of. I don't, I don't even know if it's even applicable. Tune in next week to Digital Foundry to find out. <laughs> um, so in Newsland this week, um, Immortality, the new game by Her Story and Telling Lies creator Sam Barlow, um, has been delayed from this month to the end of August for a bit more polish. This is the Hollywood-inspired investigative horror game that follows the career of a fictional actress. Um, and once again, you have to sort of dig through video clips um, in order to get closer to the truth, basically. I'm quite excited about this. Um, I've played his other two games. Um, I liked her story. Um, oh, it was a bit lukewarm on telling lies uh, for whatever reason, but I'm excited to play this. Yeah, Sam Barlow's fantastic. He's a, um, lucky enough to interview him a couple of times and he's just an absolutely fascinating person to talk to. Um, and obviously, uh, I have a track record. I think I'm the same with you as well. I loved her story, Telling Lies. wasn't so sold on, so I'm interesting, interested to see the kind of bird crack at it. Yeah. Uh, the, kind of what, he's, what he's, he's, um, his style. 
Um, the new look PlayStation Plus um, appears to be off to a promising start. Its first kind of batch of monthly games was announced. So this is the July bunch. Um, and among them, and we mentioned it earlier, is the cyberpunk cat game Stray, uh, which, uh, and this is like when it comes out, it's going to be on PlayStation Plus as well, which is exciting because it's not something PlayStation Plus, the new PlayStation Plus is always um, going to do. And also the, um, the enhanced edition of the Final Fantasy VII remake, um, which again was like a, a, a PlayStation console exclusive. That's going to be there. That and Marvel Avengers and some other like older Assassin's Creed games. But that's quite a good start. It's quite, I think that's quite promising for subscribers. Yeah, it's, it's really good to see Stray on there. Like, I think like a lot of people, we weren't expecting kind of day and date I say big releases, like Stray is obviously not a big AAA game, but um, it feels like the biggest game Definitely of the, the month, moment. basically, yeah. because, it, because there's not much else out. But also, it looks absolutely brilliant, so it's really cool to get that on the service, like, free day and day and date. I mean, it makes it a lot easier for me to play it, so yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, Bayonetta 3 has a release date. That's 28th of October. This is the Switch-exclusive Bayonetta, so don't go looking for it on other platforms. Uh, that's quite exciting. Um, it's got a um, non-sexy mode as well, which I think is the best thing about it. That's it. Where basically, yeah, it covers up. So it, there's a mode you can put on it where it covers because of. Um, I love Bayonetta to bits. Uh, I would never play it in polite company um, for various reasons. Um, and I know, yeah, I, I know it's not the series isn't is about empowerment and not so much titillation, but still. It doesn't stop it being slightly embarrassing when um, it's basically all her clothes come off and her hair turns into a tax and she's nude underneath it all. And there's a, a, a native angel mode in it which covers up um, all the it covers up all the skin basically and so it makes it a bit more appealing to play with a bigger audience. So it's not so yeah, which I think it's, it's awesome. I'm not that I'm a prude. I am a prude. I'm going to be switched on straight away because I'm going to find it much more enjoyable to play that way. Awesome! I didn't know that. That's that sounds like a great feature and something so bayonetta. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, there's a leaked Skate reboot doing the rounds online, which maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't. But uh, um, the Skate developer came out uh, this uh, week and was like, that uh, gameplay build is like a year old and it was never intended for external use. I wonder if they're just saying this anyway. And they're pleading people not to download it and play it. This this game doesn't have any release date yet and um, slowly inviting more people to sort of play testing. Um, so yeah, you've you've been told, I suppose. Um, Bandai Namco, uh, publisher of Dark Souls, Elden Ring, and The Witcher Three, a while ago now, um, confirmed it was hacked um, and is investigating a potential customer information leak. Um, there's a quote possibility quote some customer information was accessed. So fingers crossed that wasn't the case. Um, but check if you're a Bandai Namco customer and you've got stuff related to them it might be worth checking that out. Moving on. Uh, Spotify has bought Hurdle, uh, the guess the intro music game that was until now powered by SoundCloud. Uh, so expect it to move homes soon, I guess. Have either of you ever played Hurdle? I've not. And I've also just cancelled my Spotify subscription as of like a week ago because of like a lot of people, I think I'm reconsidering all my subscriptions and there's been the, the great coal in the, in the face of a cost of living crisis and everything. Um, but I've now I've not played Hurdle. I'm so, but yeah, I've, I've heard, heard good things, lol. <laughs> um, which other subscriptions got the axe? Which one, which other ones did you chop out? Netflix has gone. Amazon Prime has gone. Brutal. I feel ashamed to have an Amazon Prime for so long. Uh, it's weird actually. I, I, I've, the only ones I've kept is really Apple stuff um, because of Apple. I just like Apple Music. It works a bit better for me, and it means I got Apple Arcade as well. I got Apple Arcade back basically recently to play the Yu Suzuki game Air Blaster, and then realised it's awesome, and then kind of just got went all in on it. Yeah, 
Nice. Um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 2, the old game this is, is being re-released for PC Switch, PlayStation and Xbox next week. That's on Wednesday, 20th of July. And yes, it's got local co-op, unlike the new Baldur's Gate game, which was a bit ropey and didn't have local co-op for some ridiculous reason. Um, a fan has remade the intro to Arcane. That's the Netflix show about League of Legends, which I really liked. Um, but with the characters from Mass Effect, I urge everyone to go and watch this. It's really cool. Sort of Liara's face and um, Thane and Garrus as you're in place of the other ones. Very good. Um, also, isn't Mass Effect do isn't Mass Effect do like TV treatment at some point, or is that happening? I'm not a big bio, I'm not plugged into Bioware stuff. That makes so much sense. I have no idea, but I don't. Would it be any good? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Um, also, in slightly silly news this week, an Elden Ring player has finished the game on a piano. I don't even know what to say. I, did, I wonder if it sounded nice. <laughs> I doubt it, but I'd actually like, I'd actually like to just to see it completely, yeah, not, not even see the gameplay at all, just hear the atonal chaos of someone trying to play yeah, through Elden Ring on a piano, so you can identify the key moments, like certain boss fights, you'll be like the heavy yammering. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, um, and, and, and on a serious note to finish this on, um, you can now dress as Sonic in a new range of loungewear on sale from the Sega shop. Uh, Christian Donnan, will you be buying any of these? Uh, no. <laughs> um, no, I did. I, did, I bought... Um... If you do, I'll, I'll dress up as I'll dress oh, up as tails. Case, yeah, if, you so... do, if you get the Sonic stuff, I'll, I'll get the tails. I, uh, I, I, got I bought Sonic Mania on. the other day, and it's great. Um, thank that you. My, that was my. Uh, that's my Sonic fact. It's not a fact. It's just a bit of time for some Sonic pajamas <laughs> to go with it. Maybe. I don't. I don't actually know if Sonic pajamas are part of this range. Um, I've actually got. I've actually got Sonic the Hedgehog pajamas. I'm not even joking. Uh, God, I shouldn't really admit that. Uh, well, I. I don't know why you're not wearing them. To be honest. Yeah, sorry. Apologies. Next time, next time out, I'll, I'll, I'll bust them out for you. We'll hold you to it. Um, thank you very much, Christian Donnan and Martin Robinson, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks for having us. I'm Bertie. That was Weekly. And I'll see you all next week. Bye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>